Welcome to the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Filament Games Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Pitzer. I do the marketing at Filament Games. And I'm another host. I don't do the marketing at Filament Games. That's true. Nor would I let you. Uh, with me <laughs> as well uh, today um, is our guest, uh, Chris Rake. Um, Chris is Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at FIRST, uh, which is the world's leading youth-serving nonprofit advancing STEM. Uh, he leads the daily operations of FIRST to drive forward its global community, uh, which is dedicated to preparing young people for the future through engaging team-based research and robotics programs that inspire young leaders and innovators. Uh, Chris first joined FIRST in 2018 as the Vice President of Programs and brings an impressive background in leadership and technical excellence and a passion for FIRST, uh, through which he's championed the growth of the progression of FIRST programs worldwide and led the team responsible for strategic planning and development of overall program content and experience. So there you go. There's a nice long intro, Chris. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Today, we're just going to talk about the work that we're doing with FIRST, um, which is, of course, very exciting, and then getting into um, some of the history of FIRST and uh, the history of the design structure that they've applied to their competitive scene. Um, so first, uh, first, I'm going to say that a lot today, um, we're going to be talking about uh, Roboco and Roboco Sports League. Um, so Chris, you know, we came to you, I'd, I'd say honestly, like a couple years now, um, where, uh, through our connection with Rev Robotics, um, we were introduced to your organization, um, and started working on, uh, Roboco and Roboco Sports League. And so through this, um, we are innovating and breaking some new ground in terms of bringing the first ethos and, uh, the impact of what first can do through these competitive robotics events into a digital realm. Um, so my first question for you, Chris, is how do you see the role of these experiences? Um, first of all, just generally like the robotics competitions that first runs, and then also these digital versions of that, how do you see these, uh, what, what is their role in education today? Yeah, for sure. So first we've been around for about 30 years and since then we've had the, uh, the, pleasure and privilege of working with over two and a half million students um, through robotic games and experiences to inspire them to pursue careers in STEM and be leaders in science and technology. Uh, but the problem is, is this there's two billion children in the world. So that means that there's like only 0.025% of kids have access to FIRST worldwide. And, and that's a big problem. Um, it's also a huge opportunity. So, you know, we're looking at, like, how can we better reach more students, you know, inspire them to discover, to innovate, have fun, but also in a way that's first, that uses, celebrates our own ethos, our culture, our community. Um, how can we expand that impact and that reach by many orders of magnitude? And that's where things like RoboCo and, and Sports League come into play, because that allows us to take the mission uh, and really get it into the hands of children around the world. Um, of course, not abandoning our physical presence, right? but just knowing that 
it's going to take a long time to be in every school. And time, unfortunately, is something that is limited. So how do we accelerate that? And this is a great opportunity for us to do so. Well, I was going to ask maybe just for, you know, our readers at home, if we could just sort of walk through how how a first tournament actually works. Uh, you know, I think I think folks have some familiarity with our our discussions about RoboCo and what it can do. And I, I know we've mentioned our tournaments, but I, you know, I think the actual kind of walkthrough of how a first tournament works, which is, you know, the foundation for a lot of what we think about when we start making the digital bridge of that experience. I think that'd be really kind of nice. Yeah, sure. The experience that we have varies a little bit depending on the age. So we have content that goes from pre-kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. And the experience that you might have at a competition for a a group of students that might be in second grade is going to look a lot different than a competition of a student who's going to be in high school. Sure. So for for this discussion, I want to focus a little bit on kind of what that high school, middle school competition component looks like. And it's modeled around sports. Uh, It's modeled around school sports in particular, where you have a team that is working on, you know, teamwork, team skills, coming together to compete on a playing field. Uh, In this case, the playing field is a robotics tournament. And so they're, they're playing by way of a robot that they design and built. Um, we also have a human player element in many of our games as well. So it's not just about the robots and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, but let's just think about the competition itself. So every year it's a new game. So students will discover what the game is at the kickoff. Then they have a period of time where they build their robot and they work at this is after school, or maybe it's in school, or maybe it's at home or a home of their neighbor or at the local library, wherever it may be that their lab is, is going to exist. And they create a solution to the game, and then they go to a competition, and they deploy that solution on the field as a team. Um, They compete multiple rounds of playing the game. The games are generally about two and a half minutes long, uh, with an autonomous uh, portion where the robots are performing on their own, and then a teleop portion where the robots are being driven by the teams. Mm -hmm. And the teams will play multiple matches, and they'll they'll create rankings uh, during, during that match play. And then at the end, uh, after the qualification matches, then they go into sort of the final sets of matches. Um, But one of the things is the teams aren't competing by themselves. They're in each match. They're working with an alliance. They're working with other teams. Sometimes it's 2v2. Sometimes it's 3v3. And one of the things that's really important here is that the alliance could be different. And in fact, during qualifications, it's randomized. And that means that you might be able to compete against a team in one match and they're your alliance partner in another. And and that helps uh, reinforce some of the philosophy and ethos of first as well. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yeah. So that, I think that element of alliance play is, is really interesting. And and also I think quite reflective of um, a lot of the realities that, you know, you encounter in the working world. Occasionally you'll be, collaborating with someone who's a rival in, in an industry um, and vice versa. Um, you know, at, we at Filament, like, a, you know, being a work for hire shop, um, we have many friends uh, in the games and learning space. And we often we often know that they are competing against us for our RFPs that we're going after, <laughs> um, you know, and that's 
that that element of of you know uh, getting into graceful professionalism and cooperation, right? Like some of those those key features of the first ethos um, are very much aligned to just the way that the workforce operates in this day and age, right? Yeah. Um, another uh, so another question I had as you were going through that structure is. Um, when you talk about a game, um, can we break that down a little bit? So like you're saying, you know, the, the kids create a robot um, and they, you know, to as a solution for the game that they are presented with at the start of the competition round. Um, what's like an example of like what a game board looks like for one of these competitions? So, yeah, the the game really depends on the level of program. So we're talking about First Tech Challenge and First Robotics Competition, which are really the middle school and high school programs. Uh, we also have First Lego League, which a lot of folks know of us in terms of the uh, uh, working with Lego and a Lego competition. So First Lego League might be a four foot by eight foot table. Uh, First Tech Challenge, which is that middle school and high school program is going to be played on like an eight foot or 12 foot by 12 foot mm. uh, field with like a one foot perimeter around it. And that's, you know, it's, it's four robots on that field. Uh, and then you have in first robotics competition, like an arena size uh, field that is about like half the size of a basketball court, about that size. Uh, and then you'll have six robots on that field um, playing at, at one time. And so the game is different every year. So one one game in particular in first robotics competition that was really popular uh, was one where teams had their robots that would actually throw Frisbees across the field and score into a score that was located above the scoring stations. Um, and so there were a lot of flying discs. Uh, actually, in First Tech Challenge, we did that same kind of game concept several years later, flying discs and you know flying objects. So the robot, you had to figure out how to spin the disc and how to propel it and launch it and then hit the target. Uh, and then in that particular game, and in many of our games, you might have an end game element. So you have a scoring element during the regular game, and then there's an end game, climbing, balancing, balancing robots on top of each other, some sort of challenge where the robots uh, usually have to like work together um, or, or meet together to do some sort of common task. Um, and, and then usually it ends with some sort of spectacular end. Robots climb, robots fall. And so there's always this tension that builds up at the end of the game. Um, and every year, it's a, it's a new set of, of objects that the robots are going to be manipulating. It's a new set of rules. It's a new set of scoring. So teams really have to, re have to learn uh, what the game is, what the rules are, uh, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, and then design a challenge for that, which keeps it fresh every year. So in terms of those competitors, is that, you know, how does it work at like the school level? You know, are they, are they teams that are competing like over, you know, the course of a decade, like they started out in third or, you know, whatever, fifth grade and are working the way all the way up to uh, graduating from high school and they're staying as a coherent unit? How does that typically look? Yeah, that typically looks a little bit like um, progression of, of youth sports in many ways, oh, sure. uh, where it's not necessarily the same team that's together. And part of that is because there are these transition points in a student's life. When they go to elementary school, then they go to middle school. The community that they're in looks different because maybe the middle school is made up of like four feeder schools of elementary schools. Then they go to high school where there's four feeder schools of middle schools. And so, so the community is changing. Also, the programs that are offered are changing. 
some cases, the teams are sponsored by the school and they're actually taught within the school day. Sometimes the teams meet after school and sometimes they meet as a community team. Now we have teams that are for 4-H or Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts, for instance, where it's not even associated with the school. So because that varies a little bit, and while you may have folks that stick together as, as a team when they go through that experience, when you go from program to program where you change schools, generally you're going to be transitioning from one program team to another program team. And those teams, though, uh, could be around for a very, very long time. We have first robotics competition teams that have been with us since the very first year. And so they have they have been around for 30 plus years. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And they have quite a legacy with them. And their team mentors, uh, many of them have been around for almost the whole entire time of the program, some of them since the very beginning. Hmm. And so while the students may come and go as they graduate, uh, a lot of that legacy remains uh, and a lot of that mentorship and knowledge remains as well. And then we have teams that this is their very first year and they're, they're just figuring it out for the first time. One of the great things about our community, though, is because of things like gracious professionalism and cooperation, the teams are very rarely alone. They have their other teams are there to help them out. Sure. Right? And you don't really see that a lot in sports where you're helping the competitor out. Right. But right. first, that's that's what it's all about, because, by the way, they may be your alliance partner in the map. You want <laughs> yeah. them to succeed because you're you don't want to get to know them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so again, that's why it's just built into everything that we do. That's very interesting. Yeah. So I wasn't aware, well, I guess I was, I was aware, but I uh, hadn't considered um, the ramifications of these, you know, legacy organizations where um, they've been around long enough that they've had generations of, of first students move through them. Um, I think that's uh, absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure those teams and organizations have a sort of like uh, tribal wisdom um, that, yes. you know, um, is hugely beneficial uh, to both the people that participate in their organizations and the people with whom they get allied, especially those folks who are, you know, fresh to the program. Um, so, you know, I want to talk a little bit too about um, some of the work that we're doing, um, you know, to bring uh, some of this stuff to bear on, um, I think, you know, I, I want to focus in on uh, Roboco Sports League. Um, reason being that we're, I know we're tightly collaborating on that one. Um, we're looking at bringing that to the Roblox platform, um, in early 2023. And so, um, you know, one of the, just to ask you, Chris, in terms of like, you know, how you see, uh, a program like Roboco Sports League and experience really, um, aligning and complementing um, what we're doing or what you're, what you're doing in, at first, um, in your traditional programs. Yeah, we are, like I said, looking at how we can impact uh, the development of youth leadership. And we know from our longitudinal studies, and we know from 30 plus years of experience, that what we do makes a difference. But what we also know is that only a small chunk of our community is able to benefit from FIRST because they simply don't have access. And I would say that in our world, concepts like being gracious professionals, concepts like, you know, those leadership skills of, of empathy and, and collaboration. And, you know, sometimes you're competing, but sometimes you're friends. But at the end of the day, we're all human. Um, critical thinking skills, all those attributes that come out of our program, I think we could use a little bit more of in our world. And so how can we get this? 
culture, this ethos, the excitement and an impact of what FIRST really is into the hands of orders of magnitude more students. And that's where opportunities like Roboco Sports League and platforms like Roblox really become fascinating opportunities for us. Because at first, we're designing the mechanics of our games and experiences to promote this ethos. And, you know, with a focus on civility and working together. And one of the things was we've been working on Roboco and Roboco Sports League, that it's clear that with, with Filament and, and uh, Roblox, that's a common element. And that's what really excites us, is we have aligned mission and purpose. Because this is what we want for our community, and that's what we're coming together to do. You know, Chris mentioned uh, the longitudinal studies that FIRST has um, that demonstrate the impact of FIRST. And I want to call out um, some of the very specific outcomes um, that, that, are, that are highlighted by those. Um, so FIRST students, uh, when compared to a control group, um, are significantly more likely to show gains in their STEM outcomes. And this is uh, what we're talking about with STEM outcomes is STEM interest, STEM career interest, general STEM knowledge, uh, STEM like participation in terms of their activity and the identity that they have in terms of how that actually aligns with being a STEM professional or being involved in STEM. Um, in addition, um, there are specific outcomes um, on the, excuse me, on the educational side that are extremely impressive. Um, first alumni are 81%, uh, or I should say 81% of first alumni declare a major in STEM um, compared to 58% in a comparison group. And likewise, 68% of FIRST alumni declare a major in engineering or computer science compared to 29% in a comparison group. These are mind-blowing impacts. Like th this yeah. is, <laughs> when I read these, I, I almost couldn't believe it, you know, because these are uh, such a dramatic difference. Um, and, you know, normally in the realm of statistics, um, you know, when you when you're getting into that uh, that threshold of statistical significance, it's usually not very high, right? Like the threshold for statistical significance is fairly low. And I'm looking at these impacts and I'm seeing them blow past, you know, any threshold that I've uh, had for, for what would be um, an impactful change for these folks. Um, if you want to learn more about this stuff, I definitely recommend heading over to firstinspires.org slash about slash impact. Um, there are a ton of uh, really data-rich longitudinal studies and uh, case studies on the different impacts that FIRST has had on its uh, players and participants, and it is really inspiring. Um, so definitely check that out. That's firstinspires.org slash about slash impact. So Dan, you had a question after that? Sorry. Well, actually, can I add? Can I add? real quick is well by the way thank you for that because i think that this is where the proof is in those 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 studies by the way those peer groups aren't just like random groups those peer groups are folks that identified as being stem the only difference between the two groups is one group participated in first and the other one didn't interesting and so so, so you're talking about 
folks that were already sort of like, yeah, I'm into science and math. And then you say, okay, we're going to have you do first. And the other group didn't. And now you're comparing the results. But what's even more incredible about this is that when you dive into the details and look at the impact of young women, it's even more significant. Yes. Awesome. And, and that is something which is an incredible impact of, and, and actually is one of the reasons why I, I joined the mission. Yeah, I'd, and to call those out specifically um, for for young women who participated in first, they were three point four times more likely to declare a major or take courses in computer science, and two point six times more likely to take courses in engineering. Um, yeah, right. So again, just yeah, exponential difference, um, which is which is amazing. Uh, go ahead, Dan. Nice. So that was great. Um, yeah. So I. One thing that's been really interesting to me while we've been making Roboco, right, is that, uh, and, and RSL, is that in each of the games, we're trying to create an engineering problem space, which at a high level, I think, is a kind of cool collision between uh, theoretical concepts of how to execute on the design of one of these things and then fun practical problems that emerge that have to be sort of triumphed over. And when we were doing like the initial early research on what types of pieces of discipline would go into Roboco and, and Robo Sports League, it was things like, well, if it, uh, we talked to some engineers and they'd say like, if it doesn't have soldering, if you're not soldering, it's not really engineering. Uh, or if you're, if you're not, if you're not thinking about, the heat shrink <laughs> what type of heat shrink <laughs> to apply based on your uh, environment then it's not really engineering and i thought that type of feedback was was fascinating um but then uh what really got me thinking about it was the the distinction between what you mentioned chris is that there's an entire lego uh version of uh the first competitions and in some ways, Lego has defined its own engineering space. There are fascinating practical problems in building with those tools that are different than uh, raw construction. So I guess my big, long, windy question is, uh, what do you think is, what is the sort of commonality of engineering practice that can move from one from one physical field to another to then even ultimately a digital field? Yeah, I think that's that's a really great question. And I'm an electrical engineer, right? So when you talk about soldering, you're talking about heat shrink, you know, that brings yeah. back memories. Yeah. But I would say that in engineering, it didn't start with that. It started with uh, pasta and marshmallows and building a bridge and trying to figure out who could build the best bridge out of these components that are inherently weak. Um, and that was like one of my first engineering, uh, uh, things I did in third grade. Um, engineering is about using scientific principles and knowledge mm -hmm. to create a solution to a problem. But engineering is yes, it, at the end of the day, you're bolting pieces of metal together or you're designing a circuit, uh, or you're writing code. Um, but to get there, you need to understand the problem. You need to understand 
the options that you have for its solution. You need to understand how you're going to prove that the solution works. They're going to need to understand how to implement that solution. And there's this whole engineering design process that when you enter into the engineering design, you don't know what the answer is going to be. Otherwise, the engineering is done for you. Right. Right. Engineering is about it's an it's an adventure. It's exploration. It's a process of of learning and doing, trying and then failing and then learning again and repeating that cycle until you have a viable solution. Whether it's marshmallows and pasta, and you realize that a single pasta strain is not going to hold up a bridge, but if you clump them together, you've got yourself (laughs) a more rigid structure. You take a couple of failures before you to learn that. Engineering is the same way. Now, you do bring up an interesting distinction, and that is you have the skills like critical thinking, Mm -hmm. right? This uh, the the uh, the engineering design process that does not really tie directly to a particular skill. But at the end of the day, folks are looking for electricians. They're looking for mechanical engineers, looking for software engineers. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the great things about FIRST as well is that you're developing those skills alongside of all the leadership and engineering skills. And if you come in and you're like, I know how to analyze a problem and I know how to solve a problem, I can teach someone how to solder. I can teach someone how to pick out the, the right heat shrink for, for, the, for the gauge of the wire. Like I can teach that. But what's a lot harder to teach is to have someone come in and say, I'm going to give you this crazy problem that no one really has a solution for. and I'm going to let you chew on it and work on coming up with an innovative solution. Right. That that is something that is, yes, it's trainable, but you don't really get through it until you experience it. And that experience requires the ability to try and fail and learn and try again. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, that serves as a great, uh, a great segue to ask you about um, this year's campaign and thematic uh, or theme for um, the first competitions. Um, You know, just like engineering is more than uh, soldering and heat shrinks, it's also marshmallows and pasta. Um, (laughs) You know, I I know that the theme for this year is uh, more than robots. Um, So tell us a little bit about that campaign and kind of how that's being integrated in the first uh, plans and activities for 2023. Yeah, absolutely. So we have we have a couple of themes that are sort of annual themes that we base the competition around. Uh, And so, you know, those will be things like space and um, energy and building a city. And then we have these themes that are like more about our culture and our community that we like to celebrate. And that theme, this this current you know, campaign that we have is really celebrating this concept of more than robots. I mean, we've been saying that we're more than robots um, because you know, when people think of first, they may think of us as robots in a robot competition, but, but we just spent time talking about marshmallows and pasta and that's not really a robot. Um, and, and so it's like, okay, well, what, what is first then? You know, what are we really doing? Um, and at the end of the day, first is more than robots and our community is more than robots. I mean, we're a community around robots and people in our community like robots and they build robots, but it's, it's everything we talk about leadership skills and whatnot that, that, that really isn't about robots. It's about, you know, in fact, it's not really even about the robots at the end of the day. It, it's about creating a world where every kid 
kind of believes in themselves and, and knows that, that they are more than, than what society might think of them or the boxes that they get placed into. Um, and that through our programs and our community and our ethos, that our students are able to be recognized by their worth and their abilities and really loved for who they are. Um, because we know that that's what leads to the inspiration for students to be themselves, to be creative, to be innovative, to be passionate. And those are the kinds of attributes that we look for in leadership and leaders. And that's kind of what I think we need more of today and definitely tomorrow. At the end of the day, first, our mission is about creating future leaders in science and technology. And, and leadership is can be represented in all sorts of different dimensions. Um, and so that's why being more than robots is really important. And when we think about, and there's a quote here from Dean, Dean Kamen, our founder, um, that really, you know, first isn't about kids building robots. It never really was. It, it's using robotics to build kids. And that's what we're all about. I really like that. I think it aligns, you know, with some of the advantages that we've spoken about on the podcast before and just generally at Filament in terms of how game-based learning in general can help people um, arrive at new understandings of themselves. Um, one anecdote that we've um, trotted out before is a young woman in her class um, approaching a teacher after having played a math game that she was excelling at. And she, you know, comes up to her teacher and says, you know, I'm terrible at math but my avatar in this game is great. <laughs> nice. And you're <laughs> like, you know what? You may be more than what you think of. Exactly. It's like, yeah, that's, that's just it. you, right? So um, and you. I think these these new identity lenses that, that games or, you know, participating in FIRST provides for these young people can help them see themselves in a new light and, you know, unlock a new capacity. Well, it lowers those barriers, right? So if you're in a classroom, where you are amongst folks that you perceive are better than you, or maybe they're telling you that they are better than you, right. and you're in that environment, like your status, what you've been told, that box you've been put into has been defined by that environment that you're in. Now you go into a virtual environment where your avatar, you don't have those same constraints. You're in a new world, a different environment where you can be you, right? That you have the ability to be more than the constraints of your peers. Now, at first, in the real world where we're trying to, you know, and we bring together as a community, we want an environment where those barriers don't exist. But those barriers too often do exist. And so whether you're joining a first team or going to a first competition or being an avatar, playing a math game, to be able to enter a community that is supportive, that don't just put those barriers up where you really can be more than, is extremely powerful and empowering. Absolutely. Yeah, many years ago, Filament was making a game about uh, well, it's about systems thinking, but it was themed around an old uh, simulation space called Conway's Game of Life, um, and we were testing it in a Chicago public school, and it was an early build, so it didn't have a lot of scaffolding, and uh, most of the kids were kind of struggling, uh, but there was just one young lady in the front who just like was absolutely destroying this game. Like she just absolutely 
locked in onto the system's analysis of how to make Conway's game of life function and was just cruising through the puzzles. So I remember just stopping by her desk and being like, hey, just so you know, this game is kind of about whether or not you're a genius. So that's just something to keep in mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, I'll never forget it because, I, you know, it's uh, Conway's is... is, is Conway's is a fun simulation because it's so opaque, because it has such unexpected emergent behaviors. So uh, I, I, I was, I was just stunned at how quickly yeah, she was cruising through it. She saw through the Matrix. So. Yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, another thing I want to mention, um, since we've been talking about uh, more than robots, um, before I uh, jump to the next question I've got for Chris. Um, there's another way to learn about first that I would highly recommend to anyone. Um, there's a actually a documentary uh, streaming on Disney Plus called More Than Robots, um, directed by Jillian Jacobs. I did not realize that. That's pretty yeah. cool. Um, but it's uh, following four teams of teenagers as they uh, prepare for the 2020 First Robotics Competition. Um, they're from L.A., Mexico City, and Chiba, Japan, um, and they are... Uh, basically in the documentary working towards their goal of taking their designs all the way to the global championships. Um, it was a super cool way to kind of get embedded in this process and learn more about how first operates and also just like what it's like for the students and what they get out of it and how they experience it. Um, so highly recommend checking that out again, that's over on Disney plus. Um, so that's a great, um, I mean, I, I tell you that the room was a little dusty when I first saw that documentary, as it were. Um, <laughs> it it uh, was really interesting. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but this was 2020. This was in the winter of 2020. And as we get through the end of that season, there were some very dramatic changes that happened to society. Seeing how our teams responded and what they did in response to the pandemic was why it's more than robots. And, um, and so I encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, and, um, and thanks to, to, to Disney um, for giving us the opportunity to create this wonderful documentary um, and for giving us a great platform to, to make it loud. Yeah, this um, I, I completely agree with all that. It is inspiring. It is emotional. Um, definitely touching to watch. Um, and yeah, like I say, highly recommended. Um, so, uh, Chris, my, my next uh, few or my, my my final questions for you are just kind of to set up um, what the future looks like at first. So, you know, we're what's what's next for first um, in terms of like this next season and you know leading up to the launch of Roboco Sports League. Yeah, so we have uh, all of the regular program activity. Uh, this season, you know, we're not yet out of the pandemic, even though some people say we are. Uh, but the reality is, is that this is very much feeling like a normal season. Teams are getting together. They're participating. Um, you know, there aren't really any school restrictions. There's no travel restrictions. Um, so folks are just excited to get together again. There are teams that have not been able to function and operate in person since 2020. And this may be their first year coming back. And by coming back, by the way, half their students have already graduated. So it's a whole new fresh group of students. And this is their first experience. Um, veteran teams that have been around for 30 years are very much like a rookie team this year. 
as a result of that uh, that disruption and turnover. So, so there's a lot of getting back into the swing of things. There's a lot of excitement for in-person competition. Like I said, we have a, our games theme this year is around energy. And so First Energize is the, is the name of the season. Uh, we've released two of our three challenges. The third is the First Robotics Competition Challenge that gets released uh, in early January. Uh, and then that all leads up to lots of teamwork, lots of building, lots of engineering design. And then the competition season, which for some of our programs start as early as in October. Um, and then first robotics competition leading up to our first championship in April. Uh, that will all be in the March and, or February, March timeframe. So a lot of competition and a lot of play. In parallel to that, we're going to be working uh, again with, with you and our friends over at Roblox to, to really get this uh, online experience um, uh, underway, which honestly is a little bit experimental, right? You know, we want to learn. We're, you know, we, we like innovation mm-hmm. in, in our community. We also are innovators um, and work with, with folks as you're, like, like yourself to innovate and say, let's try some things. Let's, what does getting the ethos onto a digital platform really mean? Mm-hmm. Let's try it. Right. Let's learn from it. And what I'm really looking forward to is that learning and, and really getting that, that experience of like, this is going to work or Maybe we need to iterate on it. Maybe we need to do our little engineering design methodology on it and then uh, look to uh, increase the impact of that um, and then get that into the hands as, as, as many students as, as we can so that ultimately our mission, which is to change the culture, can be successful. We have at least identified that currently I don't think neither RoboCo or Robo sports league have pasta or marshmallow based components so there's there's at least one more feature for the list <laughs> yeah that's well d- are, can you do deformable bodies really well because uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, bending objects you know yeah yeah thank you. yeah might be some low f- hanging fruit to pick for a new challenge, though. Maybe some. Well, kind of- I will say you've got some good physics engines going, so you know <laughs> I'm really impressed with what I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Chris, uh, in terms of um, how people can get involved or learn more, you know, I know I, I mentioned um, they can check out the impact studies over at firstinspires.org/about/impact. They can go to morethanrobots.org or firstinspires.org in general just to check out the program overall. Um, and I know they can actually, uh, if folks are really interested, they can actually get involved uh, on the team level and talk to their school or local organization about bringing first to their students. Um, so, you know, any recommendations there in terms of how folks can get into get into the program and actually uh, participate? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, as an adult, being inspired by going to an event is one of the most incredible things. That, that you can do. You, and so if you, and our events are open to the public during the pandemic, we had to do some crowd control, but generally our events are open to the public. Um, and so you, you can go to first inspires, uh, you can find events in your area, um, go as a spectator, uh, talk to students. I mean, honestly, the students are the ones that sell you on it. You know, right. you talk about, you talk about folks that are inspirational, you know, you like, like, don't listen to me, listen to the listen to the students. <laughs> um, and then you may be even volunteering for an event and, and, and it's like just, you know, one Saturday. Uh, and so those are ways to get started. Um, folks can be, they can come in as judges. 
So we have technical judges and non-technical judging that, that, that happens. So there's, there's a role for everybody. Um, we have uh, a need for you know, referees. We have need for cures. We have need for a variety of roles to make our events happen. And then if you're a, a parent of a student, um, you know, find out what's available in your school. Uh, talk with your teacher. There may already be a first team in your school and you may not be aware of it. Or maybe that there's a lot of interest and the school should start a team. Um, or maybe they should bring it in as part of their regular offering as part of the curriculum. Uh, so I would say, you know, have that have that discussion. But one of the things that you can do, because first is is delivered by delivery organizations at the local level, is when you go to First Inspires and you want to find first in my area, you can enter in your 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 address or zip code. And or it'll tell you who your delivery partners are and reach out to them, have a conversation. They'll be able to point you in the right direction. So there's a variety of ways to, to get started. Um, like I said, it may already be in your in your backyard, but starting a new team is a lot easier than people think. So there's always that option, too. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the coolest aspects of just the way that you're structured as such a grassroots organization. Um, there are so many ways to get involved at so many different levels, um, and people can do this um, you know, without having to disrupt their lives enormously or travel great distances. Um, it's, it's likely that there is a program, a, a first program near you. That's right. <laughs> All right. So again, uh, definitely go check out uh, firstinspires.org to learn more about all of this, check out the documentary on Disney Plus um, and check out those impact studies. Um, I think that uh, wraps up the discussion for today. So um, Chris, I wanna thank you again so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been an absolutely fascinating and inspirational discussion. Um, I can't wait to see what the future brings as we continue to experiment uh, with bringing this stuff into the digital realm. Um, I think it's got a lot of promise um, and will have a lot of impact on young people. Well, thank you for inviting me to the to the podcast. Uh, it was great talking with you. And I'd say it's been a wonderful experience working with you and your team uh, of and really just helping make the world a better place by inspiring folks uh, and making it a little bit of fun along the way. So thank you very <laughs> much for that. Uh, well, thank you, Chris. That that means a lot. That means a lot. Um, all right. Well, thank you everyone as well for tuning in today. Um, that's today's podcast. Um, we will be back soon with our next episode. So stay tuned. Uh, until then, uh, have a good one and be safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what's happening at our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to visit us at our website, filamentgames.com.